This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to a complete history of Manchester United. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, author and producer of several Manchester United books and films. And I will be joined, as always, by Paddy Barclay, the legendary journalist and football writer, to take you on this journey through Old Trafford history. If you're watching this video, please give it a like and subscribe and join in the conversation in the comments section. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you are listening on. Um, The introduction to this series was set up in the last video on podcast that covered the youth team set up by Louis Rocker, Walter Crickmer and the financial support by James Gibson ahead of the appointment of Matt Busby. And we also looked in depth at the first season in charge as Manchester United finished second in the first division. Now, the expectations for this season, I think it's fair to say there were hopes of silverware. There'd been an incredible start to life at United for Busby as he had a team playing entertaining football with a majority of players brought through the youth system. Now, Busby had been in the job for around a year before league football had resumed and so he, he was basically fully responsible for their style of play and retraining a lot of some, well, some of the players' positions. I mean, the coming years, we'll talk about how the praise should be generously spread around. But in these early days, Paddy, I think it's fair to say that this was Busby's team, arguably more completely than any other in the future. Yes, yes, absolutely. The style was already beginning. I mean, we are now talking about 1947. Um, as you pointed out, Busby be in charge well over a, a year um, and the team was starting to play Busby-style football. It, um, it, it, it was very much identified with him, and his methods off the field were starting, um, were starting to clarify as well. Um, but yes, the, the, style of, the style of football, um, which was in my book, I, I, with a, I hope not too much exaggeration, described as a form of total football, uh, total football, of course, later, you know, associated with the, the Dutch team of Randers Michels. But he did um, believe in playing from the back in a way that in modern times, Pep Guardiola, for example, would identify with. Um, and, and as we mentioned in the last episode, the key um, sort of evidence of this was the conversion of midfield or attacking players, uh, Carey and Aston, into the fullbacks. So, uh, yeah, already the style had 
had emerged, but also Busby's management style off the field is um, one or two players were to discover. Yeah, let's get into that because in the story of the off-season before um, the 47-48 campaign, there was a massive pay dispute at Old Trafford. Henry Coburn and Joe Walton, um, they requested transfers because of a pay dispute um, where uh, apparently it was confirmed that they, they wouldn't receive ten, £10 in the summer and £12 in the season uh, per week. Obviously, that was yeah. their, their wage. Um, in the end, Coburn relented and sort of... He was kept on playing at the club, and, and Walton did not relent, and he was transferred to Preston for ten thousand uh, pound after mm. making six appearances this season. So already that was a, an idea that Busby was um, a man of discipline as well as, um, as fair yeah. player and good player. That, that, that was true, although it was also a testament to the number of players already being generated by the Manchester United youth system. Um, in that here you had. I mean, Walton, uh, although he, he, he was an England player, um, he played one, once for England and was considered one of the best products of the United uh, um, grooming system, that uh, he, he, he wasn't the first choice left back. Um, he, nor was he first choice centre-half, where he could also play centre-half. So... In a way, he was was the requirements, and a little bit like if you if you fast forward to the Alex Ferguson era, where Manchester United made quite a good living out of selling players, John O'Kane, you know, and 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 and, and you, you could mention dozens of others who <clears throat> Danny Higginbottom and so on, who were um, good enough to have very good careers, but not good enough for Manchester United in the Ferguson era. The sales from these players, <coughs> excuse me. Um, uh, became a useful source of income to be ploughed back into the youth system under Ferguson. And the same thing, I think Joe Walton showed the, the, the very good fee that they got from, from Preston for him and showed that the same was already applying to, to Busby's uh, Manchester United. Yeah, uh, Busby um, came out with a quote at the start of the season to his players, I want you to play football all the time. If you yeah. do that and lose, I won't grumble. Um, yeah. and, and to be fair, there was a lot of grumbling. There was a lot of grumbling, though, when they went nine games without defeat. Can you believe that? 1947-8 yeah. season ended up, began with nine games without defeat. Uh, without win. Without, I think uh, about win. With, yeah, yeah. without a win, yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's only a mixed start because, I mean, uh, the start of the previous season, they won five on the bounce. But here, they started, they drew at Middlesbrough on the opening day. They, they got a win over the champions, Liverpool. A handsome win over Charlton, where Rowley scored uh, four goals in six-two win. But then came those nine games. Um, United um, again playing at Main Road. Uh, they had Rowley in good form, um, but it was actually the game at Anfield in early return which caused the which well not caused the slump but um, provoked it in, in a way mm. because United went two 0 up in inside fifteen minutes at Anfield. Uh, Liverpool came back to draw, and that started this slump of form where United mm. uh, they drew, drew four and lost five. Um, and this is a great story here, Paddy, from James Gibson, who, who he, he was the chairman, he was obviously benevolent, and he wanted to see United succeed. And he was mm. concerned about the slump in form, and he, he went to Busby and he said, come on, we've got to invest in the squad, I'm going to give you players. 
Yeah. He just refused. He said, no, yeah. don't keep your players. I'm asking with what I've got. And, and Gibson actually said to him, you're always telling me no. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, the, I, I, I may be wrong, but I think uh, the, the big row occurred when Gibson, there, was, there were rumours that the great Len Shackleton, one of the great entertainers of football and goal scorers, um, and creative goal scorers up at Newcastle was it was well known in football that he was unhappy there looking for a move and I think that was when Gibson made his main push come on you know buy Shackleton it'll solve our problems and uh, Busby said no nope, no nope, we've got enough players here we've got enough players here and, and as you say you're always turning me down at which point Busby responded quite uh, sharply and by his own account he said something about you know, I lived before I met you, you know, you know, you're not my, my keeper, you know, and they had this row and afterwards Gibson went back to him and said, Matt, you're right. No doubt recalling that, that at their interview, which we alluded to in the previous episode, uh, they were chiming as one in that they both wanted to build organically rather than buy players. And uh, so Busby was really throwing James Gibson's own principles back in his face. And to be fair to Gibson, who does seem like a, a cracking bloke, um, he said, fine, you're right and I'm wrong. You won't ever get any trouble from me. And he didn't. From then on, um, a key part of the relationship was that Gibson every now and again would say, Matt, is everything all right? Do you need backing on anything? Um, uh, so uh, that that was that was a, a, a sort of friendly fight, uh, which which Matt won. Yeah, the vindication came in two forms. Really, United turned around yeah. the form, um, went unbeaten for fourteen games, and then uh, just before Christmas, a new face came into the fold uh, in the form of John Anderson, um, a halfback. Um, talk to me a little bit about John Anderson. Um, yes, yeah. well, John John Anderson really big call, wasn't he? Of, um, uh, that's right. He was in uh, he was in the reserve team. Um, I mean, I, I tell the the, the story um, of how he was actually on his way to a reserve match at Newcastle when I can't remember who cried off with illness. One of the players cried off with the first team cried off with illness, and Anderson was Busby got a message to the station master at Leeds, where he knew that the players were changing, the reserves were changing trains on their way to, to Newcastle. And he got the message, tell John Anderson to bring his boots back to Old Trafford, <clears throat> which Anderson did, to be told that he was in the first team. And uh, and, and and that was it. Uh, he, he then became... A fixture in the team, um, uh, right to what was to prove a glorious conclusion. Yeah, um, Busby also allowed the squad a little bit of patience and leeway to sort out issues themselves among the players. Um, Alan B. Chilton giving one dressing down in the locker room in that um, infamous poor run of form. Interesting, interesting one that because uh, I mean we we talked we touched earlier on on Busby, Busby's belief in discipline in the squad, you know, my way or the highway. But <clears throat> during the, while the bad spell was, was still going on, 
Alan B. Chilton, the formidable centre half, um, was saying we can't. He said at half time during one game we can't go on like this, and and Busby said, well, yeah, yeah, but, but, and he said, never mind. He says, you keep quiet. I know these players better than you. And Busby went and sat in the corner. Now, this kind of, I know it's a big stretch, but this kind of reminded me of Ferguson's um, make one rule for Eric Cantona, one rule for the rest, you know, sort of thing. Something told him that this was not a time to say, back in your box, Chilton, I'm the manager here, but a time to let him speak. And he did. And it was kind of the beginning that coincided with the turning round of the of the of the run of form, and uh, my God, how it turned around! Because uh, no sooner had the run of nine without a win ended than they were on a, a run of thirteen without a defeat, and fourth in the league. And this was when the big competition came round, which was the FA Cup. Yeah, they won six two in the league uh, at Wolves um, with. Morris, Pearson, Delaney and Mitten all getting on the score sheet, um, showing that the, the goals were spread around and they were all scoring as you well. See, Busby had come under pressure during the during the bad run and he responded the same time, same way, every time. Uh, listen, it's just a, a tinker, it's a, it's a lack of rhythm. Once they get into this rhythm, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be firing, you know, and sure enough, they were. 6-2 over Wolves, who were a top club at the time. Um, in fact, they were to be United's main rivals, I think, uh, in, in, at the uh, you know for, for supremacy in English football for quite some time. So there was that was that was a very significant result, and the way it was achieved by marvelous interchanging among the skillful players, the Mittens, the Pearsons, the Rowleys, the uh, Morris, you know, all of those Henry Coburn, all of those. You know, buzzing around, um, keeping the ball moving. Kerry always, always said, you know, the, 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 the only secret to our style is we keep the ball moving. They're later to be echoed by Bill Nicholson, you know, at Spurs and all that. And it, it, it was a, a wonderful style. And it, it, made, it became very, very popular. It, it became, Manchester United were um, a lot of people's second favorite club. This, you know, footballing side uh, drew crowds everywhere they went, and they drew admiration everywhere they went. Yeah, they um, that was helped by obviously the style of play, like you said. They, they, yes. It was an infamous game at Villa Park in the, the first game. Um, they were six, they won six four. They were up five one at one stage. All that forward line getting goals. Yeah, being five one up, Villa then came back to five four, and United killed it off. Yeah, apparently yeah. one of the, it was one of the great cup. I mean, what? I mean, the, 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 the draw, it's not as if United had an easy, easy draw in the cup. I mean, Villa away was horrible. I mean, that was really tough, especially as Villa took the lead in the first minute. And the accounts of the time say that Johnny Carey, the captain, United captain, smiled when the goal went in. As, and it was probably a rueful smile. You know, people get really annoyed now at modern players who smile when they miss an open goal. And Kerry, I think it was a kind of a rueful smile that said, yeah, but 
there's more to this tale to come. And sure enough, by half time, United were uh, were winning um, uh, five one. So that's some response. Villa then came back. The crowd are going crazy when it gets to five four, um, and then I think it was. Pearson, who rounded it off and, and made it 6-4 and quietened the crowd down, finally. But uh, what, a, what, a, what a first chapter um, to the Manchester United FA Cup story of 47-8. And, uh, I mean, the story concludes with Blackpool, but we'll get there because the journey there was incredible itself. I mean, the, the, the United team was so attractive and receiving such rave reviews after that game against Villa that the, the following yeah. game was against Arsenal at Main Road and it attracted a record crowd of 81,962. Um, it was right. a 1-1 draw. Um, then uh, in the Cup, obviously, I mean, United's form had improved. They were going to go on to finish second again. Um, always the bridesmaid in that regard. But um, in the Cup, they were getting home draws, but so were Manchester City. So United had to find alternative <laughs> venues. That's right. Um, yeah, couldn't, couldn't use Main Road because uh, as long as City remained in the Cup, and uh, City hung on for another two ties. Um, so United had to play. I mean, the first game was the one against Liverpool. And it was quite difficult. Uh, Busby had to negotiate, you know, where do we play? And uh, he chose to play in Liverpool's backyard, but across the park at Goodison. And his, his he had reasons for this. One, Goodison had a nice big pitch yeah. and that would help United's uh, expansive style of play thought Busby. But also he thought that Everton their fans who were in the habit of going to Goodison would be on United's side which was, which was right. And also that the ticket arrangements Everton would be only too happy to sell tickets to, uh, or to, to allow admission to United fans so that it would be, in a sense, considering United didn't have home games at all, that even their home games were played at Man City's main road, this would be the next best thing. And, and, and so it proved. Yeah, they, um, they beat Liverpool 3-0. They yep. drew against Charlton, well, they drew Charlton in the fifth round and they had to play them at Huddersfield. That was, yeah, again, a home game against Charlton. But um, Charlton, who had been a bit cute, said, uh, oh, yeah, no problem. We, we, we can arrange for a, get the game to be played at Highbury or Stamford Bridge. And Busby says, what, you mean we have to travel to London? You, no, I don't think so. We'll play at Huddersfield. And sure enough, they played at Huddersfield. And again, it was a tremendous United performance. They only won 2-0. But uh, Charlton had a great goalkeeper at the time, Sam Bartram, remains a Charlton legend to this day. Mm. And uh, you know, although United won 2-0, the Charlton fans invaded the pitch at the end and hoisted Sam Bartram on their shoulders as if he was the man of the match because he had been. He, he had saved Charlton from, you know, six, seven, eight thrashing. Um, so that it, once again, although it only it looked 2-0, you know, it looked like a routine victory. It was yet another pummeling um, and, uh, and yet another convincing win. Um, considering the number of games United were playing away from Old Trafford in the, the 70s, 
you know, because there was the Plymouth game, there was the yes. home game at Anfield at Stoke. There's probably a really good trivia question in the reckoning here at some point about how many games United played at home, but not yeah. Old Trafford. Um, they got to quarterfinal against Preston. The day before the quarterfinal, Paddy, um, John Anderson's wife, who had passed away from tuberculosis, had to be buried. And um, he was, they had this all to do about a selection for that game. Yes. Uh, I mean, eventually, Busby sort of suggested that, you know, there's nothing you can do now. Um, you, 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 you know, playing might just give you 90 minutes of, of respite from grief. Um, so he, he played and, and, United, and United beat Preston. That was, you know, as near as United could get to a home game because it was played at at Main Road. Um, but yes, I, I mean, as if, you know, the story of Anderson needed more um, drama, the, the, the worst possible kind um, intruded in the story when he became a widower. Yeah. Um, if you're of a younger age and you're watching this, then um, even, I mean, younger than being around for the 1940s, certainly, but Manchester United playing the third round at Villa Park is kind of a, a frequent occurrence that's some, going to be something that we talk about in future episodes semi-final against Derby County was infamous in 1976 as well but um, the first semi-final against Derby County at Hillsborough um, occurred here in 1947 um, the Rams had been winners of the FA Cup two years earlier uh, but United um, were comfortable winners on this occasion Yes, um, it was uh, it, the Derby County. Of course, had history. <laughs> They'd won the <clears throat> excuse me the FA Cup two years earlier, and uh, when the United players, um, you know, mixed with them, they noticed um, they admired uh, one of the Derby players' watches. With them. And he said, "Yeah, we got that for we got that for winning the the FA Cup. You know, gold watches every." Every player reckoned they were given a gold watch illicitly because it all has to be written into the bonus structure. And furthermore, there were rumours that Derby were on a hundred quid to win the semi-final. A hundred quid a man. Now bear in mind that <coughs> United's reward the previous season for finishing second in the league had been averaged around £20 a man. It gives you an idea of how big that that bonus was. Um, so that rumor, whether it was true or not, who can tell to this day? But that went around, uh, and yet Busby refused to increase the agreed bonuses. In other words, refused to play, break um, FA regulations, um, and, and 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 told the, the squad, you know, your reward is victory. You know, and, and plus whatever, whatever bonus they got, maybe another twenty quid or whatever. But uh, yes, as you say, um, United won it. They took the lead after a misunderstanding that involved Derby goalkeeper Jock Wallace. Now, many of the football aficionados of you will say Jock Wallace. I know him. I know him. He was uh, manager of Rangers in Glasgow. He was. Um, uh, later went down to Leicester City. 
and uh, he had been one of these rare goalkeeper. Come, this was his dad, uh, Jock, also Jock Wallace, who played for Derby. He was involved in a misunderstanding with his centre half uh, that enabled uh, Pearson to score. Uh, he also made another mistake with poor old Jock uh, when Pearson uh, scored a second. And uh, a great Derby player called Billy Steele uh, reduced the deficit. But uh, it was, and United were on the rack at this stage at 2 1. But a counterattack, a brilliant counterattack, uh, then was what they needed. They got it. Mitten was sent clear on the left. Mitten with the pace and the brilliant crossing ability. Pearson, who obviously was on a hat trick by now, pointed, pointed to where he wanted the ball. And Mitten, you know, of all the people in the world, would, Mitten put it on the proverbial sixpence. That's two and a half pence, young listeners. And Pearson did not need to break stride as he drove the ball in off. Guess who? Jock Wallace. So, <laughs> United were in the final. And it was a dream final. Honestly, it could not have been written better by the, by the editors of the newspapers because it was, it was or the commentators, it was, it was perfect because Blackpool were, the, were their fellow finalists. United's. And they had just signed the 32-year-old legend, Stanley Matthews from Stoke City. And Stanley Matthews, uh, the Football Writers Association had just been started um, by a group of journalists, uh, including the former Arsenal star, Charlie Buchan. And then, as now, their big high-profile task was to choose the footballer of the year. And in the six weeks between the semi-final, when the United beat Derby, and the final, the Football Writers Association chose their first ever footballer of the year, and it was Stanley Matthews. So that established, underlined, that Stanley Matthews was every neutral's favourite footballer. If you accept that journalists are neutral, then I promise you they are. They, they were up against many neutrals' favourite team, which Man United were. And, and, you know, you don't have to take my word for that. Um, um, Ivan Sharp, one of the, the top journalists who'd, who'd been an amateur international, a distinguished player with Derby County in the time of Steve Bloomer. Um, I mean, very... He was actually the chairman, first chairman of the Football Writers Association. And he'd already described Man United as playing the best football scene in England since the First World War. So, I mean, it, this was, as I say, the, the, the country's favourite second team against the country's uh, favourite favorite player. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, you, you couldn't, it couldn't have been better from the media's point of view. And uh, as it turned out, the game not only lived up to, but exceeded reputations and still... I think would be talked about by historians as one of the great FA Cup finals of all time. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that in just a second. But in the build-up, the preparation for this, another bit of a grumble for Busby was the ongoing injury issue with Jack Crompton. Ah, yes. Jack, uh, uh, as we've, we've talked about before in this series, Jack 
Busby always thought maybe he could do a little better, but Jack was such a stalwart. He couldn't complain about Jack Crompton's professionalism uh, and or shot-stopping abilities. Basically, there was nothing uh, there was nothing to not like about Jack Crompton. And uh, this included courage because before the match, uh, Jack Crompton had been suffering from an abscess, a very painful, you know, like a boil on his back. And it was, it was agony. And, and, and really, he shouldn't have played. His, his, uh, to add to all of his other attributes, you would have to add courage because he was playing... He'd been playing with an abscess on the base of his spine, which refused to go away. It was it was really, really painful. And there was really, he was the best goalkeeper at the club. He had to play in the final as far as Matt was concerned. So early in the week of the cup final, Busby took him to Ancoats Hospital in Manchester, where a specialist said, it's no problem, I'll be able to cut out the abscess. Um, but I can't do it till the weekend. And Busby said, well, he's playing in the cup final at the weekend. You've got to do it before then. Um, and uh, Busby said, uh, I'll tell you what, Doc, can I have a, a quiet word with you? When the doctor returned, he took another look. Crompton was wheeled away, given a local, anest local anesthetic. The doctor cut the abscess out, gave uh, Crompton a packet of, you know, bandaged him up and gave him a, a large packet of painkillers. And sure enough, uh, it was Jack who was ready for the final. And uh, in the final, he had, uh, I mean, if, if that was courage, he had plenty of opportunity to show it because Manchester United, he, he, he was required. Yeah. So let's talk about the final. And um, was, like I said, it was a classic. Uh, one of these last cup finals that weren't even televised, um, apart from the Pathé uh, News, um, which actually ended up missing one of the goals. Uh, <laughs> yes. Most uh, we, we, we'll, we'll come on to we'll come on to that. That's uh, that's that is a very nice little twist in the tale. But it, um, yeah, it was it was a sunny day. It always. You know, I can remember right up to the televised cup final. Yeah, there, that's beautiful. Now, if that, that that sums up the walk down Wembley Way to the Twin Towers, which preceded uh, today's uh, arch at Wembley, the the Twin Towers, symbols of empire, which uh, the crowds walked down, and it it always seemed to be uh, sunny on cup final day. And even though I see the gentleman in the foreground wearing, carrying his trench coat and his mate actually wearing his raincoat. But yeah, the weather was lovely. And the pre-match entertainment was ultra traditional, the band of the Grenadier Guards and uh, songs from popular musicals. Oklahoma was very popular, it was one. And then there was the community singing. I mean, now you can just about hear Abide With Me, but in those days, the fans made their own entertainment and took great delight in it. And uh, it culminated in Abide With Me, but uh, the, um, uh, there were other ones. She's a lassie from Lancashire, you know, they would 
because the two teams were were from Lancashire. Um, it was uh, it was very much uh, had a local flavour, and it was just good-hearted, great, great fun. Uh, another point, actually, um, you can't see it from the earlier photograph, but there was quite a bit of khaki on the terraces. I don't think we can see it from that shot of Wembley Way. Um, or Empire Way, as it was called in those days. Um, but there's some, still some soldiers still wearing uniform among the crowd. Uh, the teams were led out by Busby and by Joe Smith, um, with the captains Carey and Harry Johnston. Oh, the Queen was there. Uh, uh, sorry, I beg your pardon, the King, King George VI, who had by then, if anybody's seen the Queen's the King's speech, he had by then conquered his stammer and was able to be introduced to the players. Um, Blackpool were in front at half-time. Um, they were playing very well. United were playing well, but they needed some kind of impetus. And it was really the um, the the three-goal succession towards the end of the game which thrilled um, so many people, wasn't it? Yeah. There were, I mean, the, the, as you say, United had fallen behind. It was... We said it was a cup final, but we implied it had more or less everything. It even had controversy. Um, <coughs> Chilton uh, pulled down the great Mortensen. We've talked about Stanley Matthews, but there was an e equally important Stan in the Blackpool team, Stan Mortensen, the prolific England centre-forward. And he'd sped clear of Chilton. Chilton thought, I've got to take, it, take his legs. He took his legs. Uh, United, uh, with filmed evidence, could say it was outside the area uh, it would have been a red card for sure in uh, in current circumstances <clears throat> but uh, obviously no question of that at the time uh, but it, a penalty was given which was just and uh, Blackpool took the lead but United then came back brilliantly um, and uh, we, we've talked a little bit about Johnny Morris's technique um, here was a great example of it uh, a free kick was given. Jimmy Delaney, a very good winger, got ready to take it. Johnny Morris ran across, and this was typical Johnny Morris, shoved Delaney out of the way and put the free kick over with such accuracy that Rowley, the great centre forward, Jack Rowley, uh, got wide of his marker and, you know, made the, made the header look easy. So that was United, United level. And uh, uh, level for the second time, actually, um, because Rowley had equalised for the first time, um, touching it over the keeper. Um, but uh, Mortensen uh, had, had put Blackpool ahead for the second time. Then came the, the free kick incident with Johnny Morris, and it was it was two all. Um, so you know it was already a thriller. Um, but Mortensen wasn't finished. Uh, he, he, he dispossessed Chilton, took a few steps and let fly. And the ball went to the right of Crompton. Bear in mind, Crompton is still bandaged, you know, still on painkillers. And he'd, he'd, he'd already made a brilliant one-handed save from uh, uh, Walter Rickett. And this time, he not only saved uh, from Mortensen, but as he fell you know, on his pain-racked back, held the ball. He then got up, 
threw it out to Anderson, who in turn released Pearson with a through ball. And Pearson, yet another, you know, accustomed to being United hero, rolls it in, it bounces in off the post, and that was it, 3-2 uh, for United. You know, they talk about games turning from end to end, so you've got Crompton save, the breakaway, engineered by Anderson, and Pearson's glorious goal. And uh, during that 10 minutes that was left, Anderson, Anderson, who lost his wife, who'd not been in the team at this halfway through the season, scored the fourth from long range. The drama, you know, the drama was just about just about over. Um, and the, if only John Anderson had had a little bit of, had been able to see his own goal, but it wasn't to be because Pathé News, as we talked about earlier, the final was not televised by the BBC, but Pathé News, this news organization that did news reels for cinema, had got it. The trouble is, that they'd used up all their film. And that, so John Anderson's goal, I mean, we've got reports which say that it was a long-range shot, which maybe took a deflection. They, I think it was from 35 yards, but we can really only surmise. And so John never, if they'd had videos in those days, John wouldn't have been able to be given a video, a uh, souvenir of his, of his cup final goal. Uh, but it was great. The king handed out the medals. There he is. And he told Carey, is it, yes, there he is. He's speaking to Carey. Apparently what he said in a perfectly enunciated uh, remark that he thoroughly enjoyed the final. And all the reports said that. Uh, was it the greatest final every monarch ever saw? I don't know. But it would be difficult to think of a better cup, FA Cup run. When you, when you take it back to the beginning at Villa Park, you know, a goal in the first minute, a comeback, almost a turnover by, by Villa. I mean, there's the squad that picked it up with Busby in the middle, Carey to his right, his right to our left, uh, <laughs> cheeky little Johnny Morris there. I mean, it's great. And uh, the directors there, the, the back row, I notice Gibson... I think that might have been Gibson's son. Anyway, um, that's that's the that's the great team with, uh, as you can see, Jack Crompton in the middle there, dwarfed by Alan B. Chilton, his centre half, uh, and uh, Aston to his left. So, um, unlucky Jack Warner on the far right of the second row, who was preferred, who was sorry, who was dropped in favour of Anderson, a difficult decision for Busby, but one that undoubtedly given Anderson's display in the cup, uh, one that was vindicated. So there we are, the cup heroes after one of the great cup finals, arguably to this day. Yeah, um, Busby said after, um, I'm always striving for perfection, a state of affairs which I will never regard as unattainable. And it was not until the 47-48 season that I really saw such perfection from the players at Manchester United for the first time. United beat Blackpool in a match regarded by many onlookers as the best final ever played on the famous Wembley turf. 
Um, we'll just run through the squad for this season. Um, I'll be putting up the images of the new players from last season as I run through the stats from the previous season. Crumpton, first choice goalkeeper again, 37 appearances in the league. He's stepping this time with Barry Brown, three appearances yes. this season. Because Barry Brown was only 20, that was the key. That was the ab and 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 not experienced. That was the key. That was what made Busby drag Crompton to Ancoats Hospital. Yeah, um, and the other standing this season was a lad called Jimmy Pegg. He made two appearances, both his only appearances for the club this season. At fullback, uh, we had um, a number of standings just making a few appearances. You had John Ball, who made 23 appearances in his career, but only one appearance this season in the league. From there, you've got Tommy Lowry, who made 14 appearances overall, but only two in the league this season. Sammy Lynn um, was a halfback, um, but mostly playing at fullback this season. And he made three league appearances. Three of his 13 appearances were made this season. Maybe you'll remember Harry Worrell from the previous episode here of the, the infamous steak dinner. He was um, he made the last of his six appearances. He made five appearances this season, but that, that was to be him. Um, for, for this season, Kerry made 43 appearances and scored a single goal. Johnny Aston, a mammoth 42, 52 appearances. Basically, every game that United played, he was ever present um, in there as well. Uh, we talked about Joe Walton earlier. He made six appearances. Um, moved to the halfback line, which wasn't changed from the previous season. Alan Mitchell, and 47 appearances. Henry Coburn, 32 appearances and a single goal. Billy McGlenn, 13 appearances. Jack Warner, 16 appearances and a single goal. Uh, we've talked about John Anderson already. He, his introduction to the first team was 23 appearances and two goals. That's 18 of those were in the league. Uh, Ted Buckle, who we mentioned in the previous episode, um, three appearances and a single goal. Ronnie Burks, six appearances and a single goal. Then you've got Laurie Cassidy, who came into the side, four appearances overall, but one in this season. Joe Dale was forward with two appearances. Um, they were his only two appearances for the club as well. Um, the forward line, Jimmy Hanlon, uh, we talked about his troubles before, and uh, just one goal in eight appearances this season. Charlie Mitten with um, 11 goals in 44 every competition. Goals galore in the forward line. Jimmy Delaney with nine in 42. You also had um, Stan Pearson coming in with 26 in 46 games. And Jack Rowley, top scorer yet again, with 28 goals in 45 games. Pearson, the top scorer in the goal in, in the FA Cup competition, we already talked about eight goals in six games. An incredible, um, incredible showing, really. Um, the tactics mm. from this season, um, you can see where Anderson came in um, at right half back. Um, or wing back or whatever they would be described um, yeah. effectively defensive midfielder I've modified Paddy's um, <laughs> preference to put Chilton in that back line <laughs> as he most prominently was yeah. um, but the forward line remaining the same as well um, yeah there um, we it's, it's, it's some forward line and already that that style of that interchanging style in which Anderson and, 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 and especially Coburn would take part not um, uh, it, it's 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 a little bit of a stretch, maybe, but um, 1948 is only five years before the magical Magyars, the Hungarian team, came to England to show England how to play football. And I think 
to an extent, Matt, who was a great admirer, Matt Busby was a great admirer of the Hungarian style, uh, that maybe Wembley had seen the first taste of the new football in Manchester United. Maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I don't think too much. Just a couple more statistics, if I may, Wayne. Absolutely. One is that the crowd who greeted United when they return, eventually returned with the cup two days after the final, uh, in the crowd in Albert Square was estimated at 300,000. And uh, it was recalled that um, when the team last came in 1909, there were nothing like as many. So there was a huge popular, this team was hugely populating and uh, popular. And one final statistic about them is when the league campaign ended, um, they had two, I think, two games still to play. And the average home attendance for United at Main Road was 54,000. So Matt Busby United, as they were already called by some of the press, were a box office hit. Yeah, they absolutely were. They, um, just to run through the, the colours as well, they were still in red at home and blue away. Um, the United Review, which we showed in the previous episode, the programme was still the same. Uh, they were referred to, as we can see there, as the team of the season, mostly by everyone. Um, and you've got some of the players' signatures there. So if you've got any old signature books, autograph books there, you can check them out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, one final thing, Wayne, if I may. Sorry, I, 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 it's just one thing that we ought not to neglect. When they did eventually come back with the cup, they didn't go straight to Albert Square because uh, James Gibson, the chairman, to, to, whose contribution we've, we've already mentioned, um, this many times was ill, I'm afraid, and was at his home in Hale Barnes. Was on it, had missed the final. So <clears throat> the team got off the train at Wilmslow while the crowds waited in Albert Square and went to uh, Gibson's home in Hale Barnes. And the players stood on the lawn, he was in an upstairs bedroom, um, ailing. And Carey and Busby carried the cup up the stairs and gave it to him. And he said, he replied, I've been waiting a long, long time for this day. And, you know, you, you, you alluded, I think, before to his, he was a sort of Mancunian nationalist. He wanted the team, as many as possible, to come from around the area. Well, he'd got his wish there as well, because despite the signing of, um, you know, the, 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 the Scotsman on the, on the right wing and, and all that, seven of the 11 were from what would now be called the Greater Manchester area. So, um, it, unfortunately, it was too near um, Gibson's own ending, but it was a happy ending for him. His football uh, uh, life was, had, had reached, had, had become a dream come true. Yeah, remarkable um, in the way that life sort of throws these curves at you that, um, for Gibson, it was the um, conclusion of a lifelong ambition to make United this competitive force. Whereas for Busby, as we're going to discover, it was literally just the start. Uh, key results from this season, obviously the Wolves away game in the league, um, Blackpool in the Cup, the Villa game in the Cup as well. So three massively memorable games where United won handsomely and played incredible football. 
Um, elsewhere in England, Arsenal were the league champions this season. Previous champions, Liverpool dropped to 11th, but defences were, were becoming a lot better. Um, Arsenal conceding just 32 goals and United slightly better than the previous season with 48 balls, so scoring a, a, a tad fewer, even though the forwards were still prolific as well. And in, in Mancunian life outside football, it was uh, it was pretty good because... Uh, John Barbaroli was conducting one of the great orchestras at the Halley at the at the Free Trade Hall. <coughs> Excuse me, the theatres were thriving. L.S. Lowry, he wasn't a hotel in those days. He was a, a great artist, and he was it was it was during a prolific period uh, for L.S. Lowry and Salford, and um, all of this was happening. And as if that was not enough culturally, uh, there was some beautiful writing in sports writing, some of the great football writing of all time by Donnie Davis, known as an old, who went under the byline of an old international in the Manchester Guardian. He was also a broadcaster and he was a wordsmith supreme. So for even the the football fans, there was, there was plenty of culture to be enjoyed. And H.D. Uh, Davis, an old international and plenty more to write about in the years to come. Yeah. Um, after winning the Cup, Busby's ambition for the next season was to hope to go one better than the <laughs> second place finishers and win the league in 1949. So let's see if we um, get to that aim in the next episode. Um, if you're watching this video, please give it a like and subscribe. Join in the conversation again in the comment section. Really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Looking back on Sir Matt Busby's first title triumph, well, first trophy triumph at Manchester United. And if, you, if you're listening to the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you are listening on. We will see you on the next step down memory road. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.